in life is carrying things off and not remembering where I left them. So when I put that prayer card here, I'm going to put it back there. Uh, several weeks ago, well, we've been, <laughs> been here every week, both Allison and I were dealing with voice issues. Actually, everybody was for a while. It is very nice to have voices back and uh, be able to sing and talk. Yes, Nathan, can I help you? This we know. And with that, let's close in prayer. Totally kidding. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, and I, I promised last week, because of the things I had to deal with at the beginning, we would revisit the first part of the chapter and get through verse 14 this morning. So we're going to go verses 1 through 14. I invite you to stand as we read those things together, those verses together. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly, publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, or sorry, know then that the, those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that Christ, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Lord, you are good. Teach us your word, and may our lives be evidence of our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I've got a couple really easy questions at the start. How many of you have ever driven a car? Now, we might have debate on what driving is. How many of you have ever been in a car? How many of you have ever walked to Denver? Yes, I was right. I ask you, how did you get to Denver then if you did not walk? The car took you there. Now, we have all had that vehicle that you get in and you hope it gets you across the road, let alone 200 miles away. Or don't count my miles, I'm just tossing numbers out there. I mean, even this past couple of weeks, I've been dealing with, uh, I've got an old truck and uh, some of you would blame it on be being a Ford, fine, okay, whatever. 
the fact is, is that it's old mainly, and, um, and, and it kept missing. It kept, like, misfiring and stuff like that. And, and finally, I just took one. My dad always said that you always start with the smallest problem and then work from there. So I had replaced the spark plugs a couple of years ago, and as uh, the economical human being I am, I bought the cheap ones. So that one cylinder that the computer kept telling me was misfiring, I bought the top-of-the-line spark plug, one of them, and put it in that cylinder. And guess what? It's not skipping anymore. We're not missing. It's not misfiring anymore. And it's much, much more uh, comforting to drive the vehicle because you can press the gas and it doesn't go, okay, we're going to go. Right? Sometimes we live our lives just like that. We try to hold on to things that have no business being there. And then when we press the pedal, so to speak, we wonder why we're not going. And again, it's the cheap thing. And I would say I was still being cheap in that I bought one instead of eight. Because eight times eight is expensive. Right? Or 850 times 8, as that might have been. You can do the math later. So, anyway, 8 times 8 is not 48. I'm glad you're still in school. So, now, when you get, uh, when you start seeing things compound, you start to realize that we cannot do this ourselves. And when we try to do it ourselves, try to solve the problem ourselves, chances are we're going to cut some kind of corner. And we're going to get to the place where we realize what we did was just not enough. And just like no one in here has walked to Denver, not that it's never happened. I mean, the automobile has only been around, you know, the last 125 years or so. I mean, people did get to places by walking. It's true. I mean, we talk about Abraham. What did he do to go from Ur to the Chaldees? He rode a camel. Guarantee you, none of you guys have ridden a camel to Denver either. Okay, but you, you, you take, it's just like when the, the kids were sitting in the chair earlier. You get, you, you have a tool that you use for a certain purpose, but it will fail you. The things of this world are going to fail you. And when we start talking about eternity, it compounds. Because our automatic response to life is I can do it myself. Or I'm going to let somebody else do it for me. But we let the wrong person do it. And we might dump a whole lot of money into a project and realize we've had the wrong person doing it the whole time. What Paul is telling us here is that that price that we think we can pay by obedience to the law is like dumping all the money you have into something that is never going to get the job done. That our salvation is always a result of a gift of faith. So again, he, and as I started out a little bit last week, we see he starts out this passage with kindness, right? Oh, you fools. And some people might think that's a little bit rough, and you're probably right. But if you keep reading the Apostle Paul, you'll see he didn't worry about our feelings too much. If you read it. But this follows the 
the thesis statement, if you've been in school and written a paper, the thesis statement, I believe, for the entire book of Galatians. Two verses earlier, remember, we don't have the original letter. They, Paul didn't number these himself. They came back later and organized them so we could find them easier. But in 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the faith, in faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 19, before that, says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Salvation, our eternal destiny, has always been a product of belief. And that's where Paul brings us here in this passage. He's taught the Galatians the truth that Christ took the penalty of the law. He fulfilled the law. By the, the letter of the law, being without sin, he did not deserve the penalty of the law. Now, you can get into the first five books of the Old Testament and start diving into some really complicated rules. And it starts getting really hairy really quickly. And you can see that why did God have to make this rule in the first place? It's because we've been messed up the whole time. And if you get into Leviticus, it says there is a curse upon these things that, that, that people do. And some of us, as we see things, we talked a little bit about the way we see things in the news and happening around the world and the, and the perversion in our world today. We go, well, it wasn't like that then. Well, go read this book you're going to see that we've been messed up the whole time. There's a reason that Christ came. It's because we are incapable of fulfilling his requirements. And so when we come into this passage, we see all of these different, um, these different things that happen. And he always comes back to this guy, Abraham. And we talked about him, and he's in Genesis. He's the, the first patriarch, is the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They call them the patriarchs of of the Jewish faith, the Israelites, the promise was made to him that he would be the father of many, that this, but this inheritance would come through one, and that is Christ. And we even see it in Abraham's life, beginning in the 11th and 12th chapter of Genesis and going through the next several chapters, we see how it's fleshed out, how it's lived out, how all along the way, it's all about Abram or Abraham trusting God. About doing, or it wasn't about doing, it was about believing. And so when we see that fulfillment and that promise in, <clears throat> in his son Isaac, and there's debate about that even in the Bible, Abraham said, why can't it be Ishmael? God said, because I said it wasn't. It's Isaac and then to Jacob, and then to the 12 tribes of Israel from there. <clears throat> we see that the fulfillment comes through the line of Judah, through the line of David, and that is Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the promise that is made to Abraham. And now Jesus fulfills that law that is given 400 years after the life of Abraham. And you see now the problem in chapter 2, these Judaizers, as they're termed, say that you have to become a Jew 
in order to be saved, to be a Christian. And Paul's Greek word for that is what, well, actually my Greek word for what Paul says, what is that? Baloney, thank you. You can spell that any way you want to. It doesn't work that way. And that's what Paul told Peter in chapter 2. And, and again, it, he turns that corner in there, and, and, and it ultimately flushes out in the theology of understanding who Jesus is. He lived out that law so that we might receive him in faith. How do you receive him? By hearing. He talked about Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's the same, same thing he's talking about here. That the work of the Spirit in the lives came by the hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So how do you get right with the almighty creator of the universe? You trust him. Now that sounds easy. Is it? At its core, yes. Living it out, we see a lot of things in our lives where we end up trusting in the things of this world a lot more than we trust in God for our salvation for eternity. So how then are we made right before him? By trusting him. This verse uh, that I brought up before, it finally finds its, its place here in uh, verse 11. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. I brought it up last week. It's Habakkuk 2.4. Now, if you've looked at the book of Habakkuk, I've preached the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of my favorite minor prophets, not for the least of which it's fun to say his name. Habakkuk. Or if you want to put the at the start, Habakkuk. But there's about 10 different ways to say that name. My, my professor in college said Habakkuk. I don't know. I wasn't there. Looks like Habakkuk to me. So Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is the citation we find in verse 11. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk was found uh, to, be, to minister pre, just previous to God's judgment on the people of Judah and the destruction of Jerusalem enduring that time. And Habakkuk calls out to God and he says, how can this be fair that you would bring judgment through wicked men? And God says, you're going to have to trust me. Because what God does in allowing that judgment through Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon is he re brings and purifies by faith the people of God and draws them back to a place of trust. And many times when we go through hardship in our lives, it's because we've been trying to do it ourselves. And if you go and look at the history of Judah at that moment, you can see they were doing a lot of things themselves, and about 99.99999% of them were not by faith. They were very simple and wicked people. And they were still called God's people. God brings judgment upon sin. And in the midst of this, he calls out and says, The righteous shall live by faith. 
And even continuing on, he declares that his righteousness will be declared throughout the nations. Go read Habakkuk. It's like two pages. It's pretty cool. You may have some more questions for me. That's, that's great. And you may have a better way to pronounce the name. But what we see is that God calls his people to repentance through judgments. And one of the things that this world has a hard time with is that we have created God in our own image. And we don't think that that God should judge us. But God is the only righteous judge, according to the Scriptures. He is the one that is without sin. He is the one who has the right to bring punishment on us. And, and really, He does bring punishment on us, even in the physical realm. We deal with things. We still have to deal with our, the problem of our own mortality. But He sends His Son his own flesh and takes on flesh in order to fulfill that punishment that the law brings upon us. See, if we admit there is a law, we're admitting there is a problem. In our world today, we try to justify one thing by an action of another thing. We can say that it's okay to lie here, but it's not okay to kill here. Or it's okay to steal if we're trying to help somebody else. That's, that's the gray area. We are talking about that class. I sat in with the Bicota class this morning talking about all this gray area of trying to figure out what to do with all these things and how to make these right decisions. And in some situations, it's, it's like you're cursed if you do are, and you're, you're cursed if you do, and you're cursed if you don't. And you probably had a different word that I'm not going to use stuck in your head on that. But the problem is, is that in this world, we are broken. In our city, we are broken. And in our own lives, and in our church, we are broken. And the only way it's fixed is by faith, by trusting in God. Now, verse 10 brings some other theology along the way. Uh, what Christ does according to the law. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not by all, abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Where does it say that? Let's go back. A long way. Deuteronomy chapter 27? Yes. Chapter 27, verse 26. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now, Deuteronomy, we're going to look again at Deuteronomy here. Actually, you might as well keep your finger there because we're going to go back to chapter 21 here in a minute. Deuteronomy, the, the, um, the word itself means the second naming. And so when we talk about the law, we're talking about the name of God. And so Deuteronomy is given to the Israelites as they are about to enter the promised land after the wandering of the 40 years. If you see uh, in, um, at the end of Numbers, you see the death of Miriam and Moses. and uh, Not Moses, Miriam and uh, who's the other guy? Aaron, that's him. Moses' siblings. And we see Moses is still leading the people, preparing them for the conquest, but who is to take his place? That is his apprentice, Joshua. Before he goes, 
he gives the people the law again. And there's a lot to it. And one of the things we learn is that if you don't do all of it, I've used the word already, what are you? You're cursed. It says it right here in verse 26 of chapter 27. And it says it and it repeats it in Galatians chapter 3. Now Paul uses this in the context of disobedience as we see this, um, these people who are trying to impose the law upon those who did not know it. So, to remind us, that's basically what he's saying here. And then as a reminder, if you don't do all of it, you're doomed. Have a nice day. And really, that can be an effective apologetics tool as well. What's apologetics? It's the defense of the faith. It's not saying you're sorry for anything. An apology in its classic definition is a defense of something that you believe. In our modern usage, it means I'm sorry. But historically, it's, it's showing how you came to terms with what you know about God. And so here we find that if we are going to follow all these rules, we're going to follow, we're going to bite or try to follow the rules, we can't. And we're going to face the doom that's associated with that. And that's death. And that's eternal separation from God. And he, he brings it back in verse 11 and says, now it is evident, this is Galatians, I'm not in um, Deuteronomy at the moment, although we all will return there. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. If they were, we wouldn't need Jesus. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now, is there any problem with having some rules? Well, I typically tell people I have one rule. You remember what it is? Don't be dumb. And that has nothing to do with your intelligence. That has to do with the decisions that you make. Right? Because we're all guilty of, of that, making bad decisions. That has to do with wisdom. And some of the people that I would meet and say not have the most intelligence in the world can be the most wise person I ever met. Why? Because they made the right choices. The problem is, is that we're all going to falter. We're all going to make those mistakes. And somebody's got to do that. Now, Christ, and the, and the curse there is that we die. Verse 13 says, Christ Try again, Greg. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, how does redemption work? I always think of the, the, the skating rink, although I can't roller skate. I think of all the little the, the tokens you get from the games, Right? You're dumping coins in that thing, and it probably costs four times as much as it used to, just like everything else does. Or it takes so many tickets, and it gives you tickets. Okay, so you take the tickets up to the desk, and you've been saving for months to get that little teddy bear, or the big teddy bear, or the giant thing at the carnival, right? And guess what? Somebody in front of you just got it. 
whatever it was, you worked for it and worked for it and worked for it, and you didn't get it. Or you decide to use what you have, and you end up with a little rubber ball. And all that does is annoy your parents. Now, that may be worth the price. I mean, I, I was there once myself. But what we find is that the price that we think we can pay, that redemption is always going to fall short. The redemption we need is the redemption for our sin. And in order for our sin to be redeemed, you have to have the perfect offering. That's the symbolism that we find at the Passover, that the perfect spotless lamb is brought before the priests. And if it has a blemish, it's sent away. Here, we see that Christ redeemed the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And like I said, I like to go back to where you see it. So let's go back to Deuteronomy. I told you to keep your finger there. And I did. Look at there. Deuteronomy chapter 21. It's really hard not to talk with both hands when you're up here. But I managed to do it. God is faithful. Okay. Verses 22 and 23. This is going to sound familiar to us. And you may not have ever read it before. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, just a few weeks ago, really, we celebrated the resurrection. And when we saw Christ crucified, what was one of the things they had to do? They had to get him off the cross, off the tree, before sundown. Why? Because if they did not, there would be a curse upon the land. We see that fulfilled multiple ways in the person that is Christ. So Christ takes the curse becomes the curse of the one who is hanged on a tree. It has nothing to do with climbing trees. It has to do with death. Christ, who knew no sin, became that sin. And the great exchange happens. That his righteousness then is available to all who would trust in him. For all those who would believe. If we try to do it ourselves, we might as well have left Christ on the tree. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through are the Gentiles? Anyone who has not learned the law. Anyone who is not of God's chosen people. He has extended that blessing 
by taking the penalty on himself, being hanged on that tree, seeing the fulfillment of sin forgiven, and the promise through the resurrection of eternal life. And as we were talking in the class I was in this morning, that Holy Spirit comes to those who trust in him. So that when we face those moments along the way, we can trust him to guide us to make the right decisions. But it all comes back to the fulfillment of what Christ has done for us. That's why we need to be in this book. That's why I encourage each of you to be in a Bible study. That's why I encourage each of you to read your Bibles every day. It really, even the, the, the length of it doesn't matter. Sometimes if you read more, it's detrimental because you don't focus on something that you might need to along the way. But the fact is, is that we come to faith because of what Christ has done. And when we trust him, we find eternal life. I'll say it over and over and over again. We cannot do it ourselves. When we do get to that place where we try to do it ourselves, we realize that we... We are, we are sinners, we fall short, and then we're afraid to make a mistake. And then when we make a mistake, we try to cover up that mistake, so that sin leads to another sin, and leads to another sin. And what's the old saying? Oh, what a tameable web we weave. When, perfect, when first we practice to deceive, easy for me to say. Sin breeds sin, breeds sin. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God life in Christ Jesus. This verse that it, he quotes out of Habakkuk, and we come back here, faithfulness, the righteous shall live by faith, is quoted three times in significant places in the New Testament. The first is Romans chapter 1, verse 17. I think it was Warren Wearsby, I didn't write it down, but he had an interesting illustration on this as I was reading this week. There's a progression in the New Testament in the usage through this. Now, in, in verse 16, we see the great proclamation of Paul that, that you've probably heard before. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Again, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. So, it talks about how we are found righteous. The righteousness is found there. How do we live then? Paul talks about it in Galatians, in that, that passage we've been dwelling in here. How, does the, how do we live? The righteous will live. And in the context of, of everything that is happening here, Paul doesn't want us to... To, to be without purpose or without meaning of what we do. He's telling us that if we only live by the rules, for the rules' sake, we're doing nothing. He calls it in, in the Corinthian letters, our, righteousness, our personal righteousness as filthy rags. Now, that's not pretty. Okay, we can talk. If you've got questions about it, I don't really want to talk about it right now. But it's disgusting. 
righteousness cannot come from ourselves. We live by the work of the Spirit, and then we see it fulfilled. And I love this chapter, Hebrews chapter 10. We use it again. Make sure I get the right verse. 37 and 38. And fulfillment here. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So we want to bless God because of what he has done for us. How do we bless him? We stay faithful. We trust him in that. And Hebrews 10, if you haven't read Hebrews, that's a little longer read than Habakkuk. Just going to say. There's a lot there. But chapter 10 talks about the corporate nature of our faith. It's, the, it's the, where we find the verses where we don't forsake the assembling together. And I tell you what, pastors really like those two verses when we start talking about going to church. Because that's the clearest picture we have that we need each other as the body of Christ. We need to be together. We need to encourage and spur one another on, as it says, to love and good deeds. To encourage one another all the more as we see the day. What is the day? The day of his return approaching. And it's closer now than it was five minutes ago. And then following that, we see how God is blessed by those who trust him. Hebrews chapter 11, they call the hall of fame of faith. We see all of these characters, and it starts with uh, Cain and Abel, or sorry, it's about Abel and Adam, and, and gets to Abraham, and, 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 you get, and it talks a lot about Abraham, and he starts talking about all of these, how they died in faith, believing that God has redeemed them. Righteousness has always been by trusting God. And it's not some kind of ambivalence picture of oh I believe I've seen that and you see it on somebody's wall and we even have it on our wall I can say I, I use it you know if somebody asks me about it I'm going to tell you what, what we need to believe right but I remember seeing it posts and you know we talked about social media earlier but oh I believe what do you believe I believe it's all going to get better does it Seems like we're always grieving something. No, we believe in what Christ has done for us. That's what faith is. Faith and belief and trust are all the same word. Where do we find our blessing? We find it by trusting in Him. If you're trying to follow all the rules, you're under a curse. It's ugly. Where do you find salvation? Christ alone. The righteousness of God comes solely by trusting in Him. We are sinners. We need to plead with Him for forgiveness. He offers it freely. We receive it as a gift, and that gift is eternal life. 
Who do you trust today? Let's pray. Our Lord, you are good. You are faithful. Thank you for how you work in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your forgiveness in Christ alone. I pray, God, that you draw us all to the conviction of our sin, realizing that we will always fall short, but that you offer us salvation. And I pray for the one who needs to trust in you today, that you give them the boldness to trust you. And we realize that our salvation cannot come by what we do, but by what you have done. I pray, Lord, that you would change my heart, that today I would leave here more like you than I came, that you would mold each one of us in your character and your grace, and we would trust in you in Jesus' name. Stand, and the altar's open, an opportunity to place